Welcome to Leadership, The Journey with No Summit, with best-selling author and retired U.S. Army Major General, Robert W. Mixon, Jr. Best known for his ability to inspire audiences, motivate teams, build leaders, and create cultures of excellence. Robert shares effective values-based leadership strategies and tools your team can put into practice immediately that will fuel your company's lasting success. Now, here is your host, Robert Mixon. Welcome to the Level 5 Journey With No Summit podcast series. And I'm Robert Mixon, glad to have you today. We are privileged to have a guest to interview, our 13th, I think, in the series here, Mr. Jack Matthews. Retired Lieutenant Colonel, United States Army. I should address him in that fashion, Jack. So I apologize for that. But, you know, we're just thrilled to have him on the podcast today as we're going to talk about trust. First, I want to tell you a little bit about Jack. Graduate of West Point, my alma mater. So uh, go Army. And spent 20 years in the United States Army at various levels of command responsibility, ultimately commanding a battalion of several hundred engineers. Later became uh, in, joined the corporate world, was uh, with Intel Corporation, then uh, served with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in a number of positions of increasing responsibility across the U.S. and, and in Europe, and then uh, became a U.S. Air Force a civilian. And in another context over the past several years, and is currently the director of the Mission Assurance Group of the Integrated Capabilities Office of the Department of the Air Force. I think it's wonderful to have you here, Jack. Thank you, sir. It's a privilege to be here, and I really appreciate the invite. I hope I can add something of value to the long line of people you've already had walk through these doors. So I'm excited to give a talk on this topic as we interact. Thanks, Jack. Today, we're going to talk about the third principle of the big six principles. As you know, they are set the azimuth, listen, trust and empower, do the right thing when no one's looking. When in charge, take charge and balance the personal and professional. With Jack's background and experience, I thought that trust and empower, the third principle, would be an appropriate topic for today. So, Jack, I'd like to start with first question. What's the most important aspect of building trust you have observed throughout your leadership journey? Well, sir, I think the most important aspect is initially a commitment to both being trustworthy and trusting. I think dancing like in a relationship, it, it takes two to tango. And I think that that is really the bedrock. But beyond that, it's about building a relationship. Trust, in my opinion, is you know a belief in your reliability. Do I have confidence that you're going to carry something out? Uh, do I have confidence that you're going to do what I've asked you to do? That's that initial trust that I also personally believe, and this may be a debatable topic, I know it is, I think trust is not earned, at least not initially. Trust has to be a default value. If I don't trust somebody that I'm just meeting for the first time who's coming onto the team, I'm starting in negative territory. I'm implying they're not trustworthy. And for me, a, a glass is half full kind of guy I like to say at least an entry level of implicit trust is gained right off the bat in a relationship. Now, we may go to PhD levels of trust over time as we build that relationship, but I really believe that the assumed good intent 
assume trustworthiness in similar fashion is a good place to start. And then I think beyond that, if leaders can do a good job of modeling, you know, keeping a commitment, being transparent, caring about their people, I think that sets the tone that allows people to follow. So go back and answer your question simply. In a word, I would just say it's all about relationship. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Then, then having said that, how does trust affect your ability to empower others? I think the ability to empower others is a direct linkage with trust. I'm reminded of when I was a very young officer and had a lot more hair on my top, <laughs> at least on the top of my head in those days. Uh, I remember a cover of an Army Times, which showed the father of a classmate of mine at West Point. Actually, he was a year ahead of me, but General Walter Ulmer was one of the Army's pioneers in organizational climate and the whole theory of decentralized leadership and in a two-word phrase, power down. And I latched onto that when I was a junior officer and the whole life I've lived since then has been all about how do you power down? How do you put the level of responsibility and ability at the right level in any organization, only retaining the things for yourself that only you can do, but enabling others? And I think that the more you trust someone, the more you have an ability to empower them, to transfer that power to the right place. And if you do that, you can scale, you can, you can impact much wider swaths of any organization uh, and you help people grow. You build the bench. You entrust with them responsibilities. And we always used to say in the Army, we learn by doing. And it was one of the ways we were going to always beat the Russians if we'd ever had to fight them because we had decentralized leadership. We had people willing to work autonomously and with agility and with the ability to be bold and not have to wait for orders on high. So in remembering my own journey, that's very important. And I think in today's world, we have to resist the impulse to micromanage because of what technology mm -hmm. does for us. Mm -hmm. We can be commanding something halfway around the world, like in the movie Eye in the Sky, where you can have complete control over the battlefield or a situation simply with technology. And I think that can be a real danger as much as it can be a benefit. So we've got to be careful about that. Hmm, great point. What, what or who is the best example you've seen of trust and empowerment by another leader? I, I know General Homer's power down was a great role model for all of us, but how about someone that you personally observed who walked the talk? This is a, it's exciting for me to be able to talk about this person because in General Homer, I was looking way up the chain of command as a second lieutenant to a three-star general. In this example, I'm looking just slightly in the other direction. When I was a branch chief working for the Army Corps of Engineers in Fort Worth, I had a section chief who worked for me by the name of Jessica Napier. Jessica was amazing at leading from the rear, so to speak. You know, sometimes you think you only can lead if you're out front of everybody. But a lot of times you set the example from lower levels of that chain of command for the more senior people to observe. And you influence tremendously people even above you in the chain of command. Jessica had a team that she built, I think, by turning the traditional organization chart upside down. She became a servant leader. She trusted her people implicitly because she knew them intimately. She was able to tell you birthdays, 
She was sending cards. She was asking about kids. She was listening to them, training them, tailoring their work schedules to meet medical needs from time to time. There's a phrase, uh, an old missionary that was once, he said, wherever you are, be all there. Jessica was all there in her leadership, but there's a cost to that. There's there's time, there's energy that you have to commit to doing that. But when you do that and you engage each person as you go and you put them in a position to succeed and then turn them loose and then put them in an environment where they can fail and it's not zero defects. To me, that was a very powerful success story as I observed Jessica's leadership. Uh, and I know she's continued to do well since then, and it will serve her well throughout the rest of her career. And I think that's contagious. Other people will see that and hopefully adopt it as well. And that's a great story, Jack, of, of someone who embodied trust and empowerment. I think, Jessica, what you said is that is that person. So in a little shift here, I would ask now, Jack, what are the characteristics of a world-class culture? I think culture is an evasive thing. It's We can certainly define it as the environment that you're working in, the sets of beliefs, the values, the behaviors. But I've been in so many cultures over the years outside of the Petri dish that uh, I think that it's a little bit different everywhere I've been. But if I was going to distill it down, I would think that any good culture the main seed in any kind of a good culture is that people are valued above anything else. And that won't surprise you probably with some of the stuff I've said already, but to me, it all starts with people. It ends with people. Leaders will communicate and listen to those people. They'll set the tone. They'll instill values. And I think you could come up with a whole bunch of different values. The army certainly has, and they're a very good set of them. If I was only gonna take a few away though, I think it's those ideals of the honesty, or you can say transparency in some ways, integrity, being able to do the right thing, being counted on to do that, the uh, commitment that people make. Kind of when I went back and said, commitment is the first element of trust, the commitment to do your best, to do a good job, to value others, to buy into that culture, to be a team, to be a team of teams, I think leaders who, who encourage this, who model this, who enforce this from time to time, it can be more caught than taught if it's an appealing culture like that where people are truly valued, people have a voice, and people thrive. They want to be there. They want to be a part of that mission. And the mission first, people always, uh, is an old saying, but you can accomplish any mission that you set out to accomplish one time if you don't take care of your people. But if you take care of your people, you can keep going back to that well. So for me, the single most important characteristic of a culture is the people on top of the right values and norms that you establish. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense to me, Jack. Uh, going back to Jessica or General Ulmer or others, who would you say is your hero or heroine as a leader and why? This is one that uh, it's probably an answer when you think about the person who I look to most as a hero in my life. I'm sure a lot of people would say something very similar when I say it was my father. Hmm. But I don't think the reasons for that 
are as traditional as they might be. You know, you, you admire a hero for their courage, their bravery, their action, but also for their skill, their strengths, their accomplishments, things like that. Um, my father was many of those things. You know, he was a high school athlete, very famous in that in the local area. He was a sports writer later in his career. He served in World War II. But the things that really make me say my father's my hero or the things that really began to materialize in my mind over time as I was growing up through my uh, early teen years, as the blanks began being filled in. We were a family that grew up in Central Florida. We went to a Southern Baptist church every Sunday morning. My dad would drop me and my mom off at the church. He'd go park. We'd go to Sunday school in our age group. So my mom was one place. I was another place. I assume my dad was another. When we'd go to church, he was never there until about halfway through the service. And I never knew why. We used to go to Morrison's cafeteria on Sundays uh, for lunch after church. And every once in a while, the waiters would take our tickets and not let us pay for lunch. That should have been the clue that really clued me in. And, and it did turn out to be what my father used to do this was in the mid 60s. You may know that the civil rights movement was in full bloom in those years. We were wrestling with all of the things we needed to fix in America with race relations. And my father used to sneak out after he dropped us off at church to go teach the waiters at Morrison's cafeteria Sunday school because they had to work to provide for their families. They couldn't go to church. My dad was a white man teaching African-Americans on a Sunday morning without anybody really knowing. But I wonder how much flack he took for that. I wonder how many relationships he might have strained because of that, because that's what he was doing in those years. He took a stand for what was right. He valued people regardless of the skin color. And you talk about an example that carried with me the rest of my life, especially in this day and age. That's a very powerful message and I'm very grateful to have experienced it. That's a wonderful story. Certainly, Jack, that your father was obviously somebody I think all of us would aspire to be as servant leaders. And what I would now ask you here, Jack, what advice would you give aspiring leaders to learn how to develop the skill of trust and empowerment that we're talking about? I think the advice I would give is to uh, Kind of goes back to some of the stuff we've said before. First of all, you got to get out and practice it. You got to try some things. You know, you got to step out. Um, you got to invest some time and energy. You've got to build some relationships. Uh, be an active listener. Learn what buttons people need to have push. You know, what is their love language? Is it acts of service? Is it affirmation? Is it recognition? You know, there's time people have to invest to be able to really understand who their people are. And I think that it is a uh, continuation of that culture discussion to be able to uh, value the people. And I think to uh, recognize that as you ascend the ladder, your job, as we call it, is probably less about doing and more about equipping, equipping and enabling people. I think be available. I used to say that my office didn't have an open door. It had a revolving door. Seems like somebody would come in about the moment somebody was leaving. And I got to a point where I'd go home at the end of the day and tell my wife when she'd say, what'd you do today? I wouldn't say absolutely nothing anymore. I'd say I was helping build into people. I was helping to coach and teach and 
share experiences with them that would have been helpful to me when I was at their place. Well, when thinking about a big idea, or one big idea you'd like our listeners to take away from today's discussion, what would that be? No pun intended, sir, but I would say the big idea that I would offer is to think small. Um, hmm. I look at an, a phrase I heard a few years back when the when the Europeans handed the Americans a crushing defeat in the Ryder Cup golf tournament. They were winning every match by like one stroke, one point, one hole. And at the end of the three days, they had killed us because they'd won almost all of them. And it looked like an absolute slaughter. And yet every match had been really close. I think whether it's in that or in banking with interest rates, it's that accumulation of marginal gains. If you look at just small improvements, small advances over time, you have an opportunity for things to build up to really large things. Big things have small beginnings. And I think quality over quantity, if you're, if you're having a focus that's a little bit narrower, you're not overwhelmed with trying to achieve so much at once. Uh, a quality over quantity incremental approach is both achievable and sustainable. And I think just to have that overall idea of when you went home at the end of the day, like I talked earlier, when you were asking yourself, did I help someone today? You know, was I able to? Because your legacy is not in the things you build or the things you accomplish. It's in the people that you were able to work with and help coach and guide and build into. And over time, that's a legacy that keeps giving. And I think that's the ripple effect. So I used to always like the story of the turtle on the fence post where you come around the corner and you see his turtle on a fence post and you go, how in the world did the turtle get there? And the answer is the turtle had help. And I've had a lot of help in my career, sir, that has been very indispensable for where I'm at now. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm excited when anytime I have an opportunity to help others uh, wherever they are in their that's really some insightful uh, answers, I think, today. And and we'll give our Journey with No Summit listeners some real food for thought. And hopefully they'll listen to this podcast and the others in the series uh, on a regular basis to help everyone equip themselves with the tools for your toolbox. Uh, the big six are all interrelated, those principles. And I think today, Jack, you alluded to several of them in the discussion about trust and empowerment. But I really appreciate your being here and your level of engagement and interest. And I'm sure uh, listeners out there in, in the level five audience will have some wonderful takeaways that they can employ today and tomorrow, next week and next month and next year to uh, grow as listening, learning servant leaders. So thanks very much, Jack, and uh, wish all of our listeners well. Take care. Thank you for listening to Leadership, The Journey With No Summit. Visit us at level5associates.com where you can subscribe to this show, find show notes, and download a free copy of the first chapter of Robert's latest book, We're All In. Subscribe to us on your favorite listening app to always get the latest episodes and show notes. 